0: Word Radio On Demand, 96.1 FM and 900 AM WURD, streaming live at wordradio.com.
1: I'm so excited to introduce our next guest for a segment that we call here on Evening Words, the Tuesday teaching dr lyra montero is a scholar artist and organizer and the child of a kenyan south asian immigrant and a white descendant of several members of the genocidal mayflower colony who love the transparency she is currently assistant professor of history american studies and africana studies at Rutgers newark director of the museum on site and co-convener with abdul ali muhammad of, of, of the Finding Ceremony program, which is, I cannot wait to, to hear more about for you all to learn about. Uh, her work focuses on the uses of the past in public culture, um, including work in, in, in the concrete decolonization of museums and landscapes. She's currently writing two books, Uncollect Our Ancestors, Finding Ceremony, and The Descendant Community College Struggle for the Return of the Penn Museum's Morton Cranial Collection. Dr. Montero, welcome to Evening Words. Hi. Thank you. you. Thank you. No, thank you so much for coming on. Um, I mean, obviously your work resonates with, with the Philadelphia listeners here on, on WRD. And, and I, I want to kind of take the, the long road to teaching folks about this work. So everybody can appreciate the fact that yes, you're a scholar, but you're also one of those scholars who's an activist and organizer and, and does the kind of work, uh, on the front lines, that 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 matches up with the work you're doing in the libraries and in the archives and in the museums. And that is a that's a rare thing in the academy. So we just want to give thanks for 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 the work that you're doing. Let's let's start with the finding ceremony piece, though, if if, if you will. Can you and I, I do want to talk about the Morton cranial collection and and help folks understand why that's a significant flashpoint for you and the work. But can we start with, with, with the move stuff, because that's a little bit more local to the city of Philadelphia, um, and and share with folks how you've been challenging the, the institutions, in this case, the Penn museum, um, about their respect for, for our ancestors, but also about their, their perceived rights in how those ancestors are laid to rest. Yes,
0: absolutely. Yeah. Um, And actually, just to clarify also, because as you say, like the Morton material is less familiar to folks, Mm -hmm. but it actually is very local to Philadelphia. In fact, um, Samuel George Morton is was a doctor in Philadelphia Mm -hmm. and he worked at the Philadelphia Almshouse, where, among other things, he stole the bodies of people who may have been his patients, including black Philadelphians. Mm. And um, the the Philadelphia Almshouse became the Blockley Almshouse became the Philadelphia Hospital. So folks, mm-hmm. that, that's the institution that we're talking about. Um, and I, I did back up to that before talking about MOVE because yes. something that my own research has really come to emphasize is that the two are connected, mm-hmm. right? Um, they both were actually part of the same uh, collection cared for by the same curator at the Penn Museum. And that isn't a coincidence, I don't think. I think that, um, you know, Samuel George Morton, working in Philadelphia in the 1830s and 1840s primarily, defined a way of thinking about race Mm -hmm. and thinking about the races, supposedly, as Mm -hmm. separate um, species, literally, Mm -hmm. uh, which created, you know, led to the very specific kind of racism that exists in Philadelphia today and, of course, existed in Philadelphia in 1985, right? Right. and with the move bombing, and then ultimately with the remains of at least two and possibly more of the people who were murdered in that bombing, wow. uh, they were remains ending up at the Penn Museum. Um, Dr. And, Montero, yeah. can,
1: can you can help our listeners understand? I mean, it sounds like a very morbid kind of curation. Can you help our listeners understand how this particular curator were was was presenting these remains, or it, what what the context was of the presentation of of these remains
0: of the move remains or of the morton collection dealer's uh, the choice marble. for
1: you which which one yeah. you start where you want to so,
0: start. so i mean the morton collection was the one that was officially part of the museum's collection and so she would put it on display to the public um anyone who had kids who went through the museum on a tour um in kind of the early 2010s would yeah. have almost certainly run into displays using these skulls that were stolen wow. um, from Philadelphia, as well as from people around the world. And then later, she put them all on display also in a classroom, in a small classroom that had about, you know, five or six hundred of these skulls on display in the basement of the museum. And that included a number of the Black Philadelphians. It also included a number of enslaved people from Cuba whose heads were stolen and sent to Morton. So those were all on display until um, 2020.
1: That's macabre and disgusting to me. And I'm a scholar who actually loves museums, but I'm trying to figure out what what are the I mean, you, you, your organization and you have made an incisive sort of political point out of this, right? Which I think is important, like one about compassion and about respect for our, for our ancestors that I think has to be argued on that front. But what are, are there any ethical considerations? I know museums are like and Steel all the time, but are there any ethical considerations about, about presenting the remains of, of, of human beings in museums from the perspective of the institution?
0: Yes, and I would say that this is an area that's changing a lot and very quickly right now. Mm-hmm. Um and which is one reason why the work that we're doing with finding ceremony is is being followed by people around the world, both folks who work in museums that display human remains mm-hmm. and are starting to rethink, as you said, the ethics of that choice, um as well as by descendants who are aware that their ancestors are held by those same museums. Wow. Um I would say that, you know, I when I when I was a baby archaeologist and first taking courses in, in anthropology, maybe 25 years ago, uh, it was clear even then that, you know, there was discussion and theory and awareness within the field that putting human beings on display wasn't OK. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the main places that that came from was the Nas- the Native American Graze Protection and Repatriation Act, which had passed in uh, 1990
2: mm-hmm.
0: and offered protection for the remains of Native Americans who were in these museum collections, um, you know, over 100,000 at that point, right? Um, Which is just terrifying and horrifying. It is. But that kind of collection doesn't come about, right, without it serving a purpose, you know, and it did indeed serve a really important purpose within U.S. settler colonialism, Mm. you know, steal literally the graves of people's ancestors as a way of removing them. From history. Both from history and from their land. Right? Because if you think about where a grave is, right? If you take it, you take someone's bones and put them in a museum, they're not on your land anymore.
1: Wow. Um, they're literally grave robbers.
0: Yeah. Oh absolutely. Absolutely.
1: My yeah. my daughter just sent me a, my daughter's is an aspiring museum creator, Doctor Montero. She just sent me a message that said, Museums do not have respect for human remains, period.
2: Your daughter's correct.
1: Wow.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, public opinion is starting to care a lot more. I mean, even just in the three years since Ali's article, among others, brought attention to the fact that the Penn Museum did have the, some of the uh, remains from some of the move bombing victims, mm-hmm. um, even just in that amount of time, it's. Gone from being something that seemed kind of seemed to be kind of okay for the public to display, even just in newspapers, images of human remains, right, including right. images from the video um, in which the Penn Museum curator had used the remains of Tree Africa. Um, wow. That was you know, that was on newspaper articles, right? When that happened. Now, today, it's become something that isn't okay. So if you look at all articles, almost all of the articles that have been published in the last couple of weeks with everything that's been happening at the Penn Museum, right. you won't see photographs of those
1: of those skulls. Which is a, that's that, a victory for, for, for finding ceremony, yes?
0: It's a victory for finding ceremony, but I also think it reflects a broader trend that's happening. So mm-hmm. at the same time that your dog is absolutely correct, museums have no respect for human remains, but the public does, and the public is gaining a greater understanding that even if any one of us isn't aware necessarily of having, you know, a great, great grandparent on a mm-hmm. shelf in a museum that other people do, right? And that that's, that's horrifying.
1: not- horrifying. Dr. Rattaro, that is horrifying to think it about is. that.
2: It is. Yeah, yeah.
1: Do, it is. Do, do these institutions draw a in distinction between presenting r- the remains of, of our ancestors from the 19th century versus presenting the remains of people from the- the remains of those who died in the move bombing in the 20s do they make any distinction between that or or no
0: so what's challenging is that the penn museum was never technically as a museum supposed to have possession of those remains of the move remains wow so um there I would say that I don't know of any museum that intentionally displays anywhere ever right, that intentionally displays to the public remains of people who, you know, have died within living memory. Right. Um, I mean, aside from in these bodies exhibits, which I'll also have there, you know, the touring the touring shows that, mm. like, show you, you know, dissections of a person in different colors for their muscles and that kind of thing. You know what I'm talking about?
1: Not really. Explain it a little bit more for our listeners. Oh, gosh.
0: Yeah. Wow. No, those are pretty horrifying. I feel like one was passing through Philly at one point when I was there. um Wow. Not- in the last decade or so but yeah the ethics of those are really horrifying uh those tend to also um come from people who have not consented necessarily to have their bodies used in that way um but uh but are less a museum project and more of a kind of like touring you know blockbuster exhibition of like you know titanic stuff or you know
1: that car. is horrible that's dr montero It sounds like a carnival i don't understand it I, I, it
0: is it is and yeah i mean i can't describe it too well because i've never i've never you know right. visited that's not something that um that's of interest to me or, or, or feels necessary for me. But, um, but, but in that, aside from that kind of a thing, no, I don't think that I don't know of museums that have ever intentionally or openly displayed remains of people whose, you know, family are still alive.
2: Mm, Um, mm, mm.
0: And in the case of the move remains, uh, you know, they were used by this curator, Janet Monge, in the video that she made for Princeton's Coursera course, which was like an online course that anyone could register for and watch for free. And um, we know that I think it's somewhere between four and 6,000 people, apparently, um, did indeed uh, do that around the world. Wow. And then, even though Janet Mond claimed uh, to investigators, uh, you know, immediately after she was found out about this, mm-hmm. uh, she claimed that she had never displayed them to the public. Uh, one thing that uh, we learned this summer that came our way with um, a finding ceremony was images from 2014 from a public event at the Pen Museum, and these images had actually been published on the Pen Museum's Flickr page, which is wow. that old photo sharing site it, which some folks still use. Yes, yeah.
1: I, I'm old enough to remember Flickr. I don't know how it ex- <laughs> if it exists now, but wow,
0: it does. Okay. It does still exist. What does not exist anymore is the Pen Museum's Flickr page because they deleted it after we brought attention to the fact Amazing that they word. themselves, yeah, they themselves had posted images. Of Janet Monge displaying not just Tree Africa's remains, but also the remains that fit the descriptions of Delicia's remains. Wow. The museum had previously claimed that they never had, even though we had eyewitnesses and other documentary evidence that suggested that they did, and possibly of other individuals as well. And they're all very clearly labeled Move.
1: Wow. Do you, can or can you, I know there's, these things are ongoing. Can you talk about how they came into possession of those remains?
0: Yes. Um, as far as we can tell, it, at least in the, case, in, in the case of Trees and Delisha's remains, mm-hmm. uh, they were given to them by um, Robert Siegel, who was the, I think, assistant medical examiner, the person who had been in charge for the city mm-hmm. of investigating um, you know, doing the medical examination for the, for the bombing. Mm-hmm. He's the one who signed off on the death certificates as being as the result of an accident rather than murder. Wow. Wow. Um, and uh, he, instead of returning those children's remains to their families, uh, and their families believe them to have been buried um Tree's family believed that she had been buried in December of 18, sorry, of 1985. Mm-hmm. And, uh, Delicia's family believed that she'd been buried in September of 1986. Um, instead their bones were sent across the country. They were sent down to the Smithsonian, all of these other places where that particular medical examiner for complex reasons that he would, he refuses to speak to any investigators. He's still alive. Um, but for reasons that seem to have to do with his own ego, quite frankly, um,
1: I, I'm like my jaws dropped here. I'm. I. I. I don't. I don't. Again, I. I can't live in this person's head. But what's the motive? Is it? Is it? Was he compensated for it? Is he advanced his career this way? Is it? Is you know, when you say ego, you mean literally bragging over the deaths of these children?
0: It's horrifying. It's really horrifying. And, and Dr. Um,
1: Montero, I should say this too. That in, in our listening audience, there are a lot of folks, obviously, who are related to are familiar with and identify with moves, So I I do want to be speak with as much me personally, want to speak with as much respect and reverence as possible about the remains of their, of their loved ones. But I'm, I'm flabbergasted by by what finding ceremony has discovered in this, in this process. It sounds like this doctor's descended from the doctor at Philadelphia hospital from the 19th century. I don't, I don't understand what's at stake for them to disrespect the remains of, of human beings this way.
0: Yeah, I mean, it, it's horrifying and it's, it's very difficult to contemplate. And, um, and I think you're right about that dissent, right? I mean, that's, that's something that I see in my research and I, I argue in my research, right? Is that, um, what happens even with the move bombing and, you know, the possibility of that is mm-hmm. really only made possible by somebody like Morton mm-hmm. shaping a particular understanding of race for white Philadelphians. Wow. Um, that generations later can manifest into that bombing and then, of course, can later manifest into, you know, a museum curator thinking it's completely OK to um, to use them in a video. Which with, by the way, um, the student who was given the uh, honor of researching using um, Tree Africa's bones was herself the daughter of a trustee of the University of Pennsylvania. Wow. And is now on a young alumni council for the museum
1: imagine that
0: herself has also exactly imagine that even though she has also refused to uh, speak with investigators
1: well i i mean there's i don't understand what you would say in the face of of this kind of abject disrespect for 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 humanity and black humanity in this case can we talk a little bit about about the the morton cranial collection and i i, I don't want to speak too loosely here, but was was he a phrenologist like can we talk a little bit more about like What exactly he was doing with those remains to advance structural racism, obviously here in the city of Philadelphia, but also internationally?
0: Yeah, Um, a lot is the answer. Um, So, yeah, phrenology is a term that often gets associated with him. Mm -hmm. And this might seem like splitting hairs. Uh, In addition to being an archaeologist and anthropologist, I'm also a historian. Mm -hmm. So forgive me if it does. Um, but yeah, phrenology is very similar to what he did, mm-hmm. but phrenologists are like, you know, if you've seen those skull, those ceramic skulls with like the different lines that say different kinds of things on them, yes. like, it's basically, yeah, phrenology was basically the idea about, you know, that different personality traits are manifested in the shape of your head.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: You can tell if someone is particularly aggressive or particularly sensitive, right? Based on the size of different parts of their head. Mm-hmm. Um, Morton was interested in phrenology, but he did not practice it himself. Hmm. What he did um, was can be described as craniometry, okay. and it involved taking other kinds of measurements of heads. And um, this was a practice that started, you know, in Europe in the late 18th century, mm-hmm. also much as part of their projects of you know global colonization and trying to justify why that's human or you know why that's not an inhuman thing to be doing mm-hmm. right in the enlightenment um, and where they basically you know kind of tried all everything they would measure the distance between any two points in a head right and uh, try and make something out of it effectively um Wharton in particular was his major he, the main measurement that he cared about was the internal capacity of a skull mm. And so he would, uh, fill up the skulls of people who had been robbed from their graves in most cases and, um, fill them up. Uh, eventually he found out that he determined that the best material to fill them up with to de- determine the volume mm-hmm. was lead shot, like essentially like BB gun pellets. Wow. I know, right? Like the symbolism of that is just so intense. Um, and he would fill them up with that and then, you know, pour them out and measure the volume. And he did that for um, probably ultimately over a thousand skulls, most of which were in his collection, mm-hmm. personal, mm-hmm. and some were, you know, borrowed or, or measured elsewhere. And um, his goal was to demonstrate, which, you know, according to him, he did, mm-hmm. uh, that the five races that he believed to exist were, had different cranial capacities mm-hmm. and seeing the cranial capacity as a proxy for brain size, therefore had different size brains mm-hmm. and that therefore it was completely part of nature's order that, you know, the race with the biggest brain, which no one will be shocked to hear were the Caucasians. <laughs> that was a term by the way that he used, right. even though, yeah, uh, and the trend and also it will shock no one to hear that the race that he considered to have the smallest brain size were the, the Ethiopians,
1: which was the main term. It, a knew. lot of my listeners right now, Dr. Montero saying, we know black folks have big heads. So how did he, how did he, how did he fuzz? How did he do the math? What did he do with the mathematics there to make that racist yeah. outcome a uh, reality?
2: <laughs>
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, so so back in the late seventies and early eighties, um, Stephen Jay Gould, who was a really important scientist mm-hmm. and Harvard science writer, actually spent a whole spent a whole chapter <laughs> assessing basically what was wrong with Morton the math mm. and uh and how he'd used statistics in ways that um, you know, budged basically. He juiced he-
1: the numbers. It's not even not science, it's not it's not math.
0: It's not, it's not. I mean, but, and, you know, and I I hesitate though when people call it pseudoscience though, because Mm -hmm. like all science is about making choices about what you're measuring and what it means. Mm -hmm. Right. And, um, we all know very well, and I'm sure your audience knows extremely well how racist scientists, science continues to be. Mm -hmm. And that's not necessarily means that it's pseudoscience, in my opinion. Um, that means that it's science of this moment. That's right. Right
1: and was morton's science accepted as science at the time
0: I'm going to say mostly yes
1: mm-hmm. actually mm-hmm.
0: yeah it was generally pretty well regarded he was seen as kind of strange for the you know his obsession with and collection of those massive skulls but he was also very well liked he was very very well connected mm-hmm. and um, in both in the united states and in europe and yeah i mean in his you know his science mm-hmm. did support the prevailing you know, desires of those who ruled the United States
2: mm, and, mm, um,
0: mm. right up to, you know, like vice presidents were consulting his, his research as a way of justifying course, you know, the, the continued policies of enslavement in Southern states, even though uh, of course, Philadelphia, at that point, you know, there wasn't slavery. That doesn't mean he was any less invested in that project. Mm-hmm. Um, Another, another thing that we see very clearly is how his research was used to justify the war against Mexico and the invasion of Mexico as well.
1: Stunning.
2: Uh,
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and, and then really, you know, his work, as I said, he built on the work of, uh, scientists in Europe from Mm
2: -hmm.
0: the late 18th century. And then his work was then imported back to Europe. So a lot of what we think of now in terms of eugenics and of right. course Nazis and apartheid and all of that—that that wow. really is
1: What a web, Dr. Montero. We have to take a quick break. Can you stay on for us for a little more? Because I have a couple more questions for you.
0: Of course, absolutely, yeah.
1: You're listening to Evening Words. I'm your host, Dr. James Peterson. We are live on WRD 900 AM, 96.1 FM. We're in a. A harrowing conversation with Dr. Lyra Montero, who's a scholar, artist, and organizer, director of the museum on site, and co founder of Finding Ceremony. We'll be back after these messages.
0: And now back to Evening Words with Dr. James Peterson on WURD Progressive Black Talk Media.
1: Welcome back to the Tuesday Teaching segment of Evening Words. I'm your host, James Peterson. We're live on WURD 900 AM, 96.1 FM. Dr. Montero, welcome back to to the program, and thank you so much for teaching us about this important work and and all of its relevance and resonance. Uh, here in the city of Philadelphia. You know, we just did a huge event last week at Mother uh, Bethel um, uh, AME Church where we're like celebrating the, you know, the kind of reclaiming the history of the Seventh Ward, where the Philadelphia Hospital is, where some of these things uh, took place. So it, it, can you give our audience a sense of, where these remains are now like obviously you all have done a lot of great work to excavate literally this history so that folks can become more aware of and hopefully family members who are connected to finding ceremony are are finding some relief through this incredible work but where, where are the where what's the status of the project right now so um so
0: in terms of the the black philadelphians who were stolen from the Philadelphia Hospital or Blackley Alms House, and as well as other institutions within the city. Um, the short answer is that we're not sure entirely. Wow. Who they all are. Um, Morton himself has list, listed fairly clearly, you know, which people, or rather, the way that Morton's catalogs work, it's possible to determine who were likely people he had stolen from Philadelphia, as opposed to from other places. Mm-hmm. Um, how, and however, we do not know for a fact how many of those skulls actually ended up at the Penn Museum mm-hmm. because they were initially held at the Academy of Natural Sciences. Uh, what we do know, though, is that the director of the museum um, did not, according to him, didn't bury them, didn't repatriate them, but moved them from the museum where they were in the basement in storage mm-hmm. to storage, in his own word, in two vaults above ground at Eden Cemetery on January 22nd.
1: Wow. So that, that still feels very problematic to me. How, who, 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 are, aside from finding ceremony, who was is, who is able to verify and or validate what, what, what the Penn Museum claims they're doing with, with these remains that have already been disrespected uh, more than their descendants probably can stomach at this point. How do we, how do we, wh- how do we uh, what's, what's the accountability uh, 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 measures here?
0: Honestly, there aren't any, mm-hmm. um, you know, the University of Pennsylvania is accustomed to not having to be accountable. Imagine that. Either it sits within, mm-hmm. which unfortunately is not too uncommon among universities, but I have to say, having been at and a part of many, many institutions, mm-hmm. I haven't seen any place like the University of Pennsylvania. Wow. Really have
1: Wow. And um full disclosure, we, that's full disclosure that's where I earned my PhD in English some time ago, but that doesn't surprise me at all what you're saying.
0: Yeah, yeah. And yeah, and plenty of the people that we work with are also, you know, either current or former, um formerly associated with the university. And yeah. yeah, similarly. Um and I actually did a postdoc there myself.
1: So uh, you know. <laughs> so you know.
0: Exactly. Yes. You see it from the inside. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um and the truth is you asked who aside from finding ceremony has been able to verify that finding ceremony has not been able to verify that. All we know yeah. is what the director said. There's no accountability. There was a claim made that there was, you know, some kind of religious person present and some kind of community witness present, but there's been nothing said or acknowledged to the media even about who those people were. Um, so we don't know anything. All we know is that they said they did that. Now, According to a court order from Orphans Court Judge Sheila Wood, give also a Penn alum, a year ago, uh, the university was, rather, yeah, the university was required to give public notice of when the burial was going to happen. Mm-hmm. And they did. They gave public notice that it was going to happen on February 3rd. And then they did it on
1: January. January wow.
0: Yeah. We don't entirely know why, but we think we have a bit of an idea. And that has to do with, um, well, I should—I would like to back up a little bit mm-hmm. and explain a little bit about the structure of Finding Ceremony, mm-hmm. if that's okay. Yes,
1: please, please, please. You're teaching us sure. today. Let's go.
0: <laughs> sure. Cool. Well, so um, Finding Ceremony is really a project that's been co-convened by myself and um, Ali Muhammad, who um, I believe will be known to to you and to many folks mm-hmm. who are listening for their work generally, and work that they were doing, I should say, like long before I became involved.
2: Mm-hmm. Um,
0: Although my work, my own work within the field, within museums and archaeology around ethical issues, you know, it's a also, Venn
1: diagram. Yes.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, and uh, the the finding ceremony is about descendant led processes for the return of ancestors whose remains have been stolen and held by colonial institutions. Which, as I said, you know, I even just mentioned the numbers in terms of Native American remains in the United States. Mm-hmm. Think about that number, but think about all of the colonizing powers around the world mm-hmm. and all of the people whose remains they have in their museum basements and their capitals.
2: Mm.
0: Mm. And it's really horrifying, horrifying. Number. Um, and it's a horrifying issue. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a very, very widespread issue. Um, and. Our focus has largely been on, uh, the Black Philadelphian remains at the Penn Museum because of how active the museum itself has been in trying to, uh, control the process mm-hmm. and basically get a PR win, right? Out of, you know, having a nice photo op situation with the burial, making it look like the community's on board, et cetera, et cetera. Wow. Um, so much so that we were really prompted to form by ceremony, um, because, uh, we found out that the museum had secretly, had tried, tried to secretly bury them in the summer of
1: 2022. This story um, gets worse and worse. They're like the vill- the, the sort of stereotypical yeah. villains with the mustaches and the, and the yeah. long laughs. I don't, I mean, it's, it's. I know.
0: And it's, it almost sounds unreal, right? It does. And yeah. 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 But sadly, it's, it's very, very real. Mm-hmm. Um, Yeah. And, you know, they, yeah, they were, they were not going to tell anybody in the community Mm -hmm. other than, you know, a couple of folks who were already on board with it, on board with their plan. Who knows that they're getting, you know, uh, unofficial quid pro quo for their, for their organization. Mm -hmm. I don't know. But, um, but you know, the power that the, that Penn has. Absolutely. In the
1: city of Philadelphia, in the nation and in the world. That's right. Yeah,
0: Yeah, Mm -hmm. absolutely. Um, yeah, they weren't going to invite the community, but they were inviting the New York Times and the Guardian to wow. come with the take pictures, and then publicize the beautiful thing that they'd done. So that's what they were going to do in the summer of 2022. Uh Ali and I were lucky enough to find out about it. Mm-hmm. Barely in time to submit formal objections to the court, but we're not attorneys. We don't know exactly what that looks like or how that was going to work, but it was enough to stop the burials from going forward in the summer of 2022. Um, and then out of that, ultimately, um, we were able, you know, we formed finding ceremony and we brought together a group of black Philadelphians Mm -hmm. who identified in some way as a descendant community for those individuals. And I say that identified in some way because, um, as of now, we have yet to be able to complete the research, to identify direct lineal descendants. So like biological genetic descendants,
1: And that's because the museum will not grant you access to those remains in any way.
0: In part, that is why. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. In Mm -hmm. part it's for that reason. And in part it's because um, Morton was a terrible person and intentionally made it harder for us to find that. Yeah. It doesn't mean it's impossible. And Mm -hmm. we've been doing research. Mm -hmm. So, um, and the concept of a descendant community group, by the way, is one that's fairly well established um, within the context of archeology span and also public history. Um, And, it merged really around the African burial ground in New York City. Yes. Like hundreds, thousands of graves right, were discovered. That's right. Part of a federal building project and um, the federal government, because unlike Native American remains, it was actually the same year, right? Unlike Native American remains, which they would have had to stop for, here they didn't have to stop, so they kept on digging. They kept on just removing people, wow. digging up graves. Um, and a group of folks came together because they basically identified not as, again, they weren't trying to say my great, 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 great grandparent is died in the 16th century and is buried right there, right? right? None of them was trying to say that. They were saying these are our African ancestors. That's right. And it, it is our job to stop this from happening. Come on. Right? And to care for them. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And they did. And they waged an incredible fight against the federal government and were able to ultimately, for those who are familiar with it, right, the site is now a national monument. That's right. It's service. Um. And anyway, so that was that was and, and of- it's
1: it's located pretty much prime real estate when it comes to the city of New York. it's oh not that was not an easy thing to get done.
0: yeah, yeah, exactly. and, and they had to the, the government had to like reduce the footprint of the building that they were building mm.
1: Mm. you
0: know, in order to make space for this memorial space. It's, mm. it's it was a, a huge deal. and um yeah, and so ever since then, really the concept of descendant community has has come up largely in contexts where for whatever reason, it's difficult to know who the lineal descendants who the direct ancestors
2: right
0: right, of people would be and um but that and also every context in which it occurs it's considered to be entirely legitimate right that Mm -hmm. in other words the people who step forward to say i have a sense of responsibility and connection to these people Mm -hmm. as my ancestors to care for them that that's valid Yep. Right. And yep. that that, for example, is far more valid than, you know, the University of Pennsylvania. And the museum
1: saying, yes, that's right. Their claim. Come on. We could we should be able to debate those claims. Yes.
0: Right. Exactly. So that's really the basis of like where finding ceremony is coming from. It's mm-hmm. about descendants. And when we talk about descendants, we don't necessarily only mean lineal descendants. That's right. right?
1: That's right. Um, But it's still awesome that it's community centered, Doc, that you're getting the community folks to kind of lead. Because, you know, sometimes with these important projects that academics do the research for and get involved in, we don't center the communities around them. And and finding ceremony has 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 definitely done that.
0: Absolutely. Yes. So so the way the finding ceremony is structured, right, is that, you know, in this case, the the black Philadelphians descendant community group are the ones who are making the decisions Mm -hmm. about what research gets done Awesome. And more than that, how that research gets shared and with whom it gets shared,
2: mm-hmm.
0: right? So, um, and this comes back to the museum director's decision, apparently, at you know, quite suddenly and secretly to bury the remains on January 22nd instead of February 3rd. Unbelievable. And that seems to be linked to the fact that uh, the descendant group, the Black Philadelphians descendant community group on January 16th, so mm-hmm. like the day after MLK Day, Mm-hmm. Sent a letter to the NAGPRA coordinator, which is that Native American Graves Protection Uh, MRP. Sent a letter to the NAGPRA coordinator at the Penn Museum informing her that uh, at least one of the, at that time, 20 people that they were planning on burying, 20 Mm -hmm. Black Philadelphians, um, at least one of them had a Native American mother. Uh. And therefore, it would be illegal, it would be against federal law for them to simply bury him.
1: Ooh, I love it when the activists are smarter than the colonizers.
0: Yeah. I mean, you know, part of it, though, it has to do with the fact they didn't bother to do the research. Because, mm. listen, this went out to the museum in January. I did that research myself mm-hmm. in city archives in Philadelphia. In, you know, it was in between, because I don't live in Philly, I live in New York. Yep. So my time here is like, you know, chopped up between different meetings and all kinds of things. So, but if I put my time in the archives together, it might be in the space of an afternoon. I found that information about one of the people they were going to bury. They hadn't bothered to do the research.
1: Mm, mm, mm. Again, the disrespect knows no bounds, right?
0: Yeah. In fact, they literally, they told the judge, both in their initial petition to the court, to Mm -hmm. Orphan's Court, and in front of us during a hearing last February, that it wasn't possible to do this research.
1: (laughs) And you did it in an afternoon in the archives.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Wow. Wow. Yeah. Dr. Montero, we only have a couple minutes left here. So I, I, I just want to make sure two things. One, we would love to have you back on as, as this situation continues to unfold to update our community and let the WRD listening community understand this work and how it progresses. I promise you there are a lot of listeners that are deeply invested in this and, and, and want to hear more and hear how we can support the work that's going on at Finding Ceremony as well. Um, but then you know for from your perspective aside from writing your two great books which we we can't wait to see what are the next steps with this like where what 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 what's the what's the trajectory from from where you sit with this important work
0: honestly I mean i think that myself and other folks who've been involved in this it's been 10 days since the day that this was supposed right. to take place right. and then it did So a lot of us are still really, you know, reeling from that. Yeah.
1: And I'm sorry about that, 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 that pulling the wool, putting the rug out from under you all and just doing it early. I mean, I, I don't, I, you know, who knows what is animating the evil forces at my alma mater, but I just, I don't, I don't, I don't get it. And don't, don't pretend to, but I I'm sorry that your organization, you and your colleagues and the, the descendant group had to actually experience that because after all that work, to get a date set, you know, how we, you know, mourning is a very serious thing in communities of color. I don't know about curators and museums, but in communities of, of, of color mourning is a very, it's very serious business. Right. And so when we yeah. say rest in peace or rest in power, like we mean that. Yeah. And, and, and folks not get, so just apologies for me personally to, to you all on, on that work, but, but, but tell us about where, you know, it, it, as you begin to recover from that, what yeah. do you thinking are kind of the next um uh, logical steps uh, for, for, for the work?
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, I won't speak to what will happen with those specific uh, black Philadelphian ancestors that are currently not according to the according to the museum's director. And you can find these quotes in the Philadelphia Inquirer, in the New York Times, and The Guardian, everywhere. He's mm-hmm. very, very open about it. Um, they're not entombed there. They weren't laid to rest. They aren't buried. They're still part of the museum's collection. So it's possible that the, the descendants group will decide that they want to try to retrieve them mm-hmm. from there. Mm-hmm. And give them a proper, obviously, burial and proper ceremony, as you say, the work of mourning is very serious. It's not a photo op.
1: That's right.
0: And, um, and it's not something to be done in secret in this case.
1: That is correct as well.
0: And um the broader, uh, ultimately, though, what Finding Ceremony is looking for is that, you know, so far we've been, myself and about 20 researchers mm-hmm. and, of course, all the members of the Descendant Community Group um, have been doing this. On our own time, right, and on our own dime, and wow. uh, and the, and that's obviously not how this work should happen. Mm-hmm. We feel very, very strongly that the institution that has caused this harm needs to pay for it to be not if not resolved, because I don't think this kind of harm can be resolved. That's right. But, but needs to pay for this work of finding ceremony, and we're not asking Penn to do the research. They've shown that they can't. Right. Mm-hmm. They told totally <laughs> right. possibly do but that ultimately means that they don't care enough to do it and the people who don't care enough to even do that basic level of research should not be entrusted with anybody's ancestors
2: Mm, mm,
0: mm. so what finding ceremony has proposed and we've written a detailed proposal it's actually on our website for folks who are interested in checking that out um is for the entire morton collection Mm -hmm. which is promised to return in april of 2021 um we're And have, have shown that they are incapable, obviously, of returning it properly. Right. We're asking that that entire collection be transferred to finding ceremony, to a group of descendants that will ultimately, of course, grow to include people from around who represent the descendant communities from around the world mm-hmm. whose ancestors are in that collection, um, who will do the research Right. Who will care to find out who people's, who people's direct descendants are when we can Mm. and to find ceremony for them that is appropriate for them based on their beliefs, based on where they're from, right? Based on their, Mm. their history and them as individuals. And, um. We need that, but obviously that takes money too, right? right? So we not only need them to hand over the crania themselves, the skulls themselves, we need the, all of their research materials. Mm-hmm. We need all of their digital material information, which mm-hmm. we also consider to be part of those ancestors' remains, right. and therefore not something that is the business of the city of, uh, you know, of, of the University of Pennsylvania or of any scientist to be, you know, playing around with CT scans of our ancestors' skulls. Mm. Um, we want all of that material handed over as well. As well as the, the money to fund it, That's which, right. uh, you know, as an alum, you know very well that they <laughs> have this incredibly healthy endowment.
1: Oh, yes. Yes. For the things you that know. they want to do, they can make those things happen. Um, Dr. Montero, I, we got to go to break and I have to let you go. But I really appreciate you coming on for the teaching and really teaching us about this work and, and, and why we need to be aware of it. I really do hope you'll come back and share more of your work. I, I didn't even get a chance to talk to you about your award-winning Hamilton essay. I definitely wanted to go in on that. And we didn't get a talk, chance to talk about the museum on site. So we, we would love to have you back uh, on on Evening Words. But thank you so much for your time uh, tonight for the Evening Words Tuesday teaching we really appreciate it you've been listening to uh, Evening Words the Tuesday teaching segment I've been in conversation with Dr. Lyra Montero who is an assistant professor of history American studies and Africana studies at Rutgers Newark also the director of the museum on site and co convenor with Ali Muhammad of Finding Ceremony which we spent the last two segments going deep in and talking about Dr. Montero thank you so much for joining us here on Evening Words
0: (laughs)